My name is Dane Wilburn. I'm a woman, a witch, a wife. Well, I have two wives. A writer, a lover, a fur baby parent, a poet, a mystic, and several things that are too impolite to mention in mixed company. Welcome to Dame's Eclectic Brain. Welcome to Dame's Eclectic Brain, where I talk to people you may or may not know about things you may or may not care about, but you definitely want to hear about. Today, my guest is Aaron Foley. Aaron Foley is the storyteller for the city of Detroit. So he's on the show today to talk about what he does, what he loves about the city of Detroit. And we get into it a little bit about my pet peeve, which are chairs and restaurants that have no backs. So take a listen. Hope you enjoy. I didn't know this was a position you could have in the city. So could you just sort of run through what your position is with the city of Detroit? My position is chief storyteller. Um, it's a new position. I didn't know you could have it either until I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been doing it for about a year and a half. Are there other storytellers in other cities that you know? Do you guys have like a conference or something? No. Uh, <laughs> I know that other, since I've been doing it, other cities have been looking at what I'm doing and see if they can either incorporate the position or see if somebody else on staff can incorporate some of what I do into what they do. But no, I think we might be the first. I'm digging it. So how do you do storytelling on behalf of the city? How does it work? We've used existing resources in the city to boost how we can share different stories from the city of Detroit. So we already were sitting on four different cable channels, right? Mm -hmm. And then we already had a web team creating websites and stuff like that. So, you know, somebody on staff was like, what if we hired a team that, you know, produced video for the cable channels will also produce content online? We already send out press releases, but what about the people who are affected by whatever initiative comes out of the press releases? So, you know, we talk mm -hmm. about job readiness programs or workforce development programs well okay it's one thing to announce the program but what if you interview the people who have gone through the program and stuff like that so that's how the idea first came about but then as it started to evolve it sort of evolved into you know more and more people in the neighborhoods of detroit were wanting to share just their everyday stories like oh you know my kids on the basketball team or you know, my kid got a scholarship, or our block club did this, or we're just doing that. Or we still have block clubs. Yeah, we still have like, them. <laughs> like, like y'all, do y'all know we still have block clubs like that? Yes. Yeah, like, and a lot of people don't know we still have them. So no. when you put that out there on a platform where people can find out about it or can just learn about what's going on in their neighborhoods, then that's what we do. A lot of people heard the word storyteller and they thought, you know, I'm going to get up in front of a microphone and right. and, <laughs> and right. do that. But when it came down to the job title, you know, I didn't want to say journalist and I didn't want to say writer. I said, okay, everybody in Detroit has a story to tell. Some, a block club has a story. A church got a story. So, you know, we're all storytellers in a way. Right. I still think it counts. Like yeah. you're still telling stories. It might not be your story, but it might be your story because mm -hmm. you are a lifelong Detroiter. Yep. So, man, I love the city. So talk to me. What do you love? Like, why did you stay? Um, There was a part of me that when I was in college, I always wanted to come back here. Where'd you go to college? Went to Michigan State. Okay. So not that far away, but, you know, I was living in Lansing for a while. And I was living in Lansing right around the time that, you know, the recession hit. Mm. Growing up in Detroit, I remember, like, the neighborhoods like Indian Village and Boston S. And those neighborhoods, it was really expensive to live in. But I'm looking at the prices of the homes during the recession, I'm just like, man, if I only had like a couple thousand dollars, I could live in the neighborhood. <laughs> that I could, you know? And so 
I was just itching to come back to Detroit somehow, some way. And I knew that even though the recession had hit and all of that, I knew that there were still people there. And I knew right. the same people there that was there when I was growing up had never left. So I was like, okay, the, the recession might have changed Detroit, but I don't think Detroit changed. It changed the house prices, but it didn't change the people. Right. So, <laughs> so came back, worked in journalism for a while, and... I was really getting frustrated with uh, the media portrayal of Detroit. I mean, sometimes it was local media, but more so the national media about how, you know, it would be stuff in the New York Times and Newsweek and all these different organizations. It was either one or the other. It was either a ghost town, you know, where nobody lives, or it's the land of opportunity for a certain kind of people. And <laughs> <Right>. I'm <laughs> like that one dude, they had something about this one dude. Like killing raccoons for dinner in the street. Yeah. I don't remember where I read that, but I was like, <laughs> What are you talking? Who are and you talking like, to? I'm, I'm thinking to myself. I've lived in Detroit all my life. I've never seen a raccoon in Detroit. I used to right. see them. At, I, I used to see them at my grandmother's house in Ypsilanti, you know, 40 miles away. But you know, Ypsilanti is the country, so like, right. <laughs> right. I'm like, where did you that, find this story? And that's where you see the raccoons and possums. So I'm like, that's that may be one small, tiny part of Detroit, but it's not the whole story. Right. So I've written a lot and I've said a lot. And next thing you know, I'm just here at the mayor's office trying to do the same thing. So, okay. You glossed over that, but you wrote what I think is an epic title. You have an epic book title How to Live in Detroit Without Being a Jackass. Yeah. And <laughs> I think when I saw the book, first of all, shout out to the logo and book design. But when I saw the book, first thing I thought was, yes. Somebody actually wrote it. Yeah. Somebody actually said it. Thank you very much, because y'all and your artists and cheeses are starting to get on my nerves. Yeah. <laughs> so I need somebody to come and sort of check you about the fact that you acting like you're a pioneer, but this city's always been here. Mm -hmm. So I know you were talking about some of the stuff with the way the city was portrayed, but it's got to be something in you when to put a, together an entire book mm -hmm. of that. So walk me through what pushed you to that edge. I was writing for a website called Jalopnik, and Jalopnik is a car blog. My day job was an automotive reporter at a trade publication and the editor of Jalopnik followed me and was like, oh, we're looking for a Detroit reporter. And I said, I already got a job. And he's like, no, no, no. Uh, we're looking for someone to talk about just the city of Detroit. And I said, okay, I could do that. Just off the cuff thoughts about things going on in the city, like things I observed. And, you know, a lot of it was like criticism of what other people were saying about Detroit. And there weren't really a lot of people saying it the way I was saying it. Not about me, but more of a criticism of, of how Detroit media does not foster voices from Detroit. If you look at any newsroom in the city, it's a lot of people not from the city. And, and therefore, right. that, that cannot share their experiences and use those experiences that they've had growing up in the city to comment on Detroit the way I was doing it. Right. Um, so that kind of made me stand out a little bit. And so they were looking at the audience numbers and stuff like that, and they said, okay, a lot of the readers who are reading this are Detroiters. Two categories. There are Detroit people who have never heard of Jalopnik, or there are people coming from Auburn Hills and Dearborn, meaning that people <laughs> in the car companies who <laughs> most likely had uh, moved to Detroit because at the time, you know, now we're starting to bounce out of the recession. Chrysler, GM, and Ford, they were hiring people from all over the place. But people were just like, but what's Detroit like? You know, I want right. to know I want to know what, what Detroit is like here, before I get like? here. So a lot of people, you know, they're living in, in apartments in and around Auburn Hills. And Detroit's kind of got this little buzz about it, about, oh, it's this, it's this. So people are in their offices and in the car companies reading this site 
regularly. And so I was like, okay, if I'm explaining Detroit and I'm, I'm talking about Detroit largely to an audience that is not familiar to Detroit, I got the idea. I'm just like, okay, there's people moving to Detroit every day now. You know, we've been through the Kwame years and the recession and, and foreclosures and stuff like that. Now people are just like, they're moving to Detroit. But they're saying things online that are getting on my nerves. They're saying, like, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They're saying things like, oh, you know, I went to this place downtown and I loved it, but I know not to cross this street. I know not to go past this this area, or I know not to go here. And they're they're talking about the places that the rest of us go to. They're talking about the right. neighborhoods I grew up in, and you know, they're saying don't go down this street. And I'm just like, but I'm from this street, and I right. came out fine. So. I think it's good because the city needs more people, right? I right. mean, that's an undeniable fact. You know, it's a lot of empty houses and stuff like that. But at the same time, you need people who understand what it's like to live here in Detroit. Because right. the majority of people who have lived in Detroit have lived there their entire life and not going nowhere. Like, we raise our kids here, therefore our kids know everything, yada, yada, yada. Now you got this whole new crop of people who have never lived in the city their entire life or never lived in a city, period. They're coming right, from both. the... Well, let's back up because living in a city and living in Detroit are two two separate items, right? (laughs) But if you've never lived in a city and then you've never lived in Detroit, you really are coming all the way out of the corner on what's going on. It's like, that's the thing that was bothering me too because I grew up here and I spent summers in Georgia, but I grew up in Detroit. Detroit is like in my blood. People, when I go on the road to do other stuff, I will talk about Detroit and people are like, how come I don't know that? Like every time I say something about Detroit yeah. and what's going on and you know what the city looks like and my favorite shot is everybody's like, well, you know, Detroit's, you know, it's kind of kind of gritty, kind of urban and yeah. that's what I hear is that it's still kind of dangerous. And I'll pull up that shot of uh, Campus Marshes where everybody's ice skating mm-hmm. and eating s'mores. I'm like, this one, that's the gritty. <laughs> and they're like, well, what's that? And I'm like, that's Detroit. Take a look at the picture. Oh, and they're like, what's going on? I said, yeah, because we are unique because we're Detroit. We're like all cities in that every city you've ever been in in your life Mm -hmm. has some parts that they're not necessarily proud of. The people who live there are very proud. Mm -hmm. They're very happy where they are. And we need to make changes to lift the whole city. I'm not denying that. But this foolishness, this theory that you have that somehow Detroit is way more dangerous Mm -hmm. than any other city in the world is insane. And you know why that is? It's because of who lives in Detroit. You know, we are a majority black city. Oh, absolutely. Chocolate cities always get that hit. But if you're going to talk about a dangerous city, Chicago's numbers are way scarier than ours. Mm -hmm. But no one says that. Exactly. And the thing about, like, it's like you don't know you grow up in a black city until you leeth Detroit. Like that's And and that's the (laughs) thing. I didn't know. I didn't know. And you don't realize how me growing up in Detroit, I didn't have, I tell people as an adult, it felt like I had a very suburban upbringing inside Detroit. I grew up in a brick house. All the neighbors knew each other. Yep. Like, And it was, to me, that was normal. But then you go outside of Detroit and people say, like, oh, do you own a gun? Like, Right. And, and People are shocked when I tell them I don't have a gun. I've never owned a gun. I've never carried a gun. They're mm-hmm. like, well, how do you live there? And I said, you live there. What are you right. talking about? Just, this is not wider. There's no whistling. It's not high noon. What are y'all talking about? And when I was in college, you could tell people were 
caught off guard by the similarities. I was like, yeah, I went to high school. I had AP classes. We had cliques. We had, right. we all live in Michigan. We all had to get the same learner's permit and get this, go through all the same stuff. We all shop at the malls for, like people, like people. <laughs> they really do think that you're getting yeah. your bread passed up to you by rope and pulley on a basket. Like yeah. they really, they think that you don't have a grocery store. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, when people talk about a food desert, that means that we don't have a grocery store that has a name on it. Yeah. That's what that was. It's like my family always had food. We always shopped. What we didn't have in the city of Detroit is a Kroger. Mm -hmm. So now we get categorized as a food desert. And I'm not saying we don't have challenges, but everybody who comes in here likes to come into the city and give us these descriptions, these narratives and all this other stuff that has, they're basically looking at the city, Mm -hmm. take one scan with your eye and then go write, you know, 7,000 words on the city of Detroit, you haven't talked to one person who lives here. Mm-hmm. And if you have talked to somebody who lives here, you're talking to, and my mother would punch a wall when she heard this term, a urban pioneer. Yeah. It's like, I need you to stop talking about how happy white people are yeah. to get a cheap house. Mm-hmm. And they're so happy that their neighbors haven't tried to sell them heroin. Mm-hmm. Calm down. It's a, <laughs> it's a neighborhood. It's a, you moved into a neighborhood. Yeah. We have neighborhoods. Don't pat yourself on the back. I rode my bike today through Boston Edison and no one said anything because no one cares. Right. Don't get me started. (laughs) Dame's eclectic brain. So tell me, what are the things that people that you've talked to, like what's the biggest surprises they find in Detroit that you are like, why are you surprised by this? The houses from one. I love architecture. I love talking about it. Um, Like I remember I was showing my friends from out of town we went to West Village to have coffee. And I was like, you know, two blocks down is Indian Village. And like, let's just walk two blocks. Showed them all those houses in Indian Village. And they're just like, oh, we didn't know Detroit had this. And then I went through the whole history of like, you know, Indian Village, when the automotive industry was taking off, there's all the doctors and executives and stuff like that. As the money was starting to roll in, they built these houses and they still stand. You know, you show them like a Palmer Woods or a Boston Edison or, or like a Jefferson Chalmers or something like that. And I'm like, Yeah, we have houses like this in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Another thing is showing them the places to eat that are not downtown. Yeah. So some of that same group of friends, two of them came recently, a couple weeks ago, and I took them to Caribbean Kitchen over Mm. on Six Mile Lodge. And it's not that they were surprised it was there, but I think they might have been surprised that you could go so far outside of downtown and still eat good. Because mm-hmm. all the restaurants are opening downtown, and that's not to say that there's nowhere to eat outside of downtown, but like it's still places that have good food. And they were like, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking us here. <laughs> um, how friendly everybody is that catches a lot of people off guard, and I think that catches people from the coastal cities off guard more so, especially if they're coming from the East Coast, right? Right. Because you coming from a city like New York and you visiting Detroit. You know, in New York, people are riding the subway, they rude. People are crossing the streets, they rude. Like, right. you come here, people say hello, people nod. You know, they're not going to stop you in the street and have a full conversation. But that kind of goes back to the whole idea, in my opinion. Not only are we the Midwest, and Midwest is supposed to be friendly, but a lot of us come from the South. And right. those, those Southern mannerisms and hospitality, that pass, passes down generation to generation. Little things like, you know, just making eye contact with somebody and saying hi. And um, saying good morning. Yeah. Like in the Midwest, you say good morning. Like you walk mm-hmm. by, you say good morning. Mm-hmm. But that piece of Detroit that's also Southern and coming up out of Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama, and Tennessee, and Kentucky, and Arkansas, and all of that, when you say good morning, you do expect an answer. Yeah. 
Like in <laughs> Michigan, like just in the Midwest, you can say good morning and people walk past you. If you don't say good morning, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You try that in Detroit and be like, good morning. And you don't say good morning. That's an, you now are in for a conversation because yeah. people will look at you and say, good morning again. Yeah. I find this fascinating, too, because I uh, host shows outside of the city. And in Detroit, if you go and do a presentation and you get up on the microphone, you say good morning. The entire audience will say back good morning. Like that just happens. You don't have yeah. to do that. I go other places and that doesn't happen. And people look at it, I say good morning and I pause and there's this sort of silence and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try that again. Good morning. They're all like, good morning. Like we're supposed to talk back to you. It's like, yeah, I'm a Detroiter. That's what we do. When we say good morning, you say good morning back. That's how it works. What's the stuff that gets on your nerves? We talk in circles about a lot of things. So bike lanes, for example. Mm. My issue with bike lanes has always been not necessarily the lanes themselves, but sometimes the audacity at why people ask for them. Mm. Because if you look at the city of Detroit, it's people riding bikes all over. You think of them as two different categories, and you don't think about one of them. You think about the young, typically white, 20-something riding their bike around Midtown and they got like a $500 Shinola bike or whatever. But you don't think about the dude on the block that like yeah. ri- rides his bike. Like he's a bike rider too. The dude on my block who does lawn care yeah. and pulls the lawnmower yeah. on the back of his bike and yeah. rides with the rake under his arm. Ain't nobody making a bike lane for him. Right. So like you have some people who ride their bike for leisure and you have others who ride out of necessity. But right. the ones who ride out of necessity are being left out of the conversation. Now, when this whole bike lane conversation started, in my opinion, the people who were riding out of leisure and had cars, you know, these are able-bodied people with the means to get around. A couple of years ago, people who lived in Detroit for a long time, they were like, you know, what are you going to do about the crime on the block? What are you going to do about these broken sidewalks? What are you going to do about this abandoned park? What are you going to do about this abandoned house? But then you had all these bike lane people trying to get into the conversation like, oh, we need more bike lanes. <laughs> uh, uh, on top of all of this and like right, right. <laughs> and and like a couple of years ago it was like wait a minute like we got all this other stuff to take care of is bike lanes really the priority well you know things have changed crime is still an issue but it's going down unemployment is still an issue but it's going down we're starting to get on the same page with a lot of stuff but now that you're seeing more bike lanes the conversation has shifted to well now that we have bike lanes now can we get rid of cars or something like that? This is what people are saying. People are saying, like, let's get rid of cars because we need more bike lanes. And it's just like, well, we have these new bike lanes. And they look like the bike lanes that you would find in any any other city. Right. I mean, the bike lane conversation is just dominating. It, I don't know anybody else's Facebook or Twitter feed, but, like, every time I look up, it's something new. As a driver, I've had to, and I don't, I don't mind doing this, I had to change the way I drive because of the bike lanes. And I wasn't thinking about the people riding in leisure. I was thinking about the dude on the block who needs to get where he needs to go. But also, I'm looking around the neighborhood where I live. I stay on Jefferson, right near Belle Isle. A lot of the people who use those bike lanes are families, right? Right. You got the mom and the dad on the big bikes, and then you got the little kids on the little bikes. So I'm thinking, like, okay, I can't be riding down Jefferson like I used to doing 45. (laughs) The way all of us, let's stop because I want to put that on you. The way all of us have been riding down Jefferson. So I'm taking that into accommodation, but... Long story short, I see a lot of black people riding using bike lanes, right? Right. And because of that, 
you have people who don't necessarily use the bike lanes saying, well, why are we adding more bike lanes to Detroit? And it's just like, because people use them now. Right. You, know, you, you, you put them out there and people use them. It's, yes, a, maybe that privileged young white person who demands bike lanes o- above all else, who are the loudest in the conversation, use them. But they're, they're actually a small minority compared to all of the people around Detroit. It's a majority of black cities, so it's probably majority of black people riding bikes. Right. The thing that bothers me about the bike lane conversation is that it's just so loud right now. I'm right. just like, the bike lane conversation should be just where it was a couple of years ago. It needs to be back down here. Put in these, <laughs> like, let's put in these bike lanes. Let's not take our eye off the ball. The bike lane is just literally like 0.001% of everything else going on in Detroit right now. Well, Detroit has this thing where everybody thinks because it's an open space mm-hmm. that they can just remake it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this city has a tone and a timbre and an age and to borrow a French word, a terroir. Like we are 300 years old. Like this is uh four parts train to the 1771. I mean, give me a break. Mm-hmm. We've been here a minute and, and the shade of how this city looks, the skin tone has shifted, mm-hmm. but the city itself has got good roots. And I'm mm-hmm. amazed at how people who don't know the history want to affect the future. Like I've had conversations with people who have no idea that Detroit once burned down just like Chicago. And they relayed the map and that's why it looks like Rome. Like we are based on the same thing as Rome. That's what the Campus Marshes is. That park is the center of the compass. All those streets radiate out from, radiate out from that compass. You don't know that, but you want to have a conversation with me about how we need to get rid of cars. It's like, no, yeah. let's try to work on crime. Let's try to get this prosperity that's happening downtown to happen in the neighborhoods. Let's go back and talk to these block club people because you got block club mem- members and folks running the block club who are 90 years old and there's nobody coming up to pick up the block club and the block clubs have what have saved us like mm-hmm. this city has pretty blocks that are and, and and the neighborhoods that you don't go into that still are pretty and have beautiful landscaping and the ladies are taking care of what's going on and those older ladies are the ones who are walking down the block looking suspicious folks in the eye going Good morning. I mean, <laughs> good morning in Detroit is also a little bit of a threat. Like, if you on a block that you're not supposed to be on, this old lady on the porch was like, good morning. And there's a difference in the way she says it. There's good morning, baby. How you doing? Like, I know you. I've seen you. I understand you. Then there's this other one that's like, good morning, which is like, <laughs> I can see you. I don't know you. There's a set of eyes on you. But we don't engage those people in our own city. And that is of my pet peeves. That's my, that's my top one is that everybody sort of out for themselves and i'll tell you something else these same folks who are moving in not to disparage anybody but all that leisure bike lane and you have a car you also have financial options and when you're gone we're stuck with your bike lane yeah you are not the first group to come in here have a plan start having kids find out that maybe you should have stopped talking about bike lanes and start talking about schools and then you move back out somewhere for the schools and now i'm stuck with bike lanes (laughs) <laughs> you know, to places that no one goes anymore. Like, I need you to big picture that. One of the things I will say, though, is with the way the city is going right now, sometimes I see people who have means and, frankly, have privilege asking for things that should not be a priority right now. Right. Not even bike lanes. It's just other stuff. Like, 
you know, um, I can't think of an example right now, but it, I'll help you. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. And you get it because you've got the means and everybody wants you to stay. But the people who have been here, who've been asking for similar things, mm -hmm. here's, okay, I'm going to say this. This is not what you're saying. I'm going to say this. It would be more beneficial in my world if you take that privilege and mm -hmm. use it to benefit the folks who've mm -hmm. been here and answer those age old questions. Mm -hmm. Like, we're here. We've got money. I'm going to stop talking about these bike lanes. Let's talk about crime. Yeah. You're listening to me because I have money. Mm -hmm. I've got privilege. I've got whatever. And you want to keep me here. So I'm going to speak on behalf of the residents mm -hmm. who have always been here and try to bolster that voice. That would be, to me, a better use of that time. But I'm not in charge of other people's thought patterns. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. But, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously the big things like crime and unemployment, that should always be addressed first before we start talking about, you know, like, when is Detroit going to get blockchain? I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> what is Detroit? Yeah. Oh, another one of my pet peeves is that all of a sudden we have neighborhood names. You know what I mean? Boston Edison was a neighborhood name. Indian Village was a neighborhood name. I'm not mad about that. But now you've got these, like, Chadsey Condon. Like, I don't remember anybody who knew they lived in Chadsey Condon. So that particular neighborhood, that's the one everybody is like, I never heard of this. And you have, like, half the people who have heard of it and then other half that hasn't. I'll tell yeah. you why that is. The Department of Neighborhoods canvassed the entire city solely to put together a neighborhood map. So it's 209 different neighborhood names in Detroit. And they pretty much went with whatever the majority of people said or whatever a significant amount of people said. Because let's say you didn't have a neighborhood map and you had a map of Detroit and you, you start shading in the neighborhoods. You got Boston, Edison, North End, Indian Village. Well, then you, if you were just to fill in stuff off the top of your head, you would have like a few neighborhood names and then a whole bunch of blank space. Right. right. It probably wouldn't look right because you may be like psychologically, at least you start to think, oh, well, they got a name. But I don't. Right. You know what I'm saying? And like as hard as they canvassed everybody to try to figure out because like a lot of the block clubs, they were saying like, oh, we notice like Rosedale Park is an example. The neighborhoods around Rosedale Park, they realize, oh, Rosedale Park, they're just not Rosedale Park. They're banking off their name. Yep. They're telling other people like Rosedale Park is where you want to be. So people saw the recognition and having a name. So they're just like, oh, well, we're going to be this. We're going to be that. So that's how a lot of the neighborhoods names came up because it's a marketing thing for them and is decided on by the neighbors. But then you have a few places on the map where people could not agree on a name or they just did not know what the name was. They go back in the paperwork. They, you know, ask the oldest lady on the block or the oldest dude on the block. And they're just like, I don't know what it's called. So then you have places that are just straight up, you know, Southfield I-96 because it's where Southfield and I-96 cross. Right. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and yeah. you have, you, there's another neighborhood out there called Dexter Finkel because Dexter it's, Finkel. It's I know exactly Dexter where, Finkel. <laughs> it's exactly where those two streets cross. Ask me where I live. You know, I'm from Dexter and Davidson. Some people, right. I, I, some people, some people, I say Russell Woods because that's the actual name in the neighborhood. But the people that don't know Russell Woods, I'm like, oh, Dexter and Davidson because that's oh, that's you over there with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, Joy Farms, which is the part that bumps up against Boston Edison. Now, see, Old I haven't school. heard of that. I'm see, not... <laughs> right. Joy Farms is uh, LaSalle. It's basically uh, LaSalle between uh, West Grand Boulevard and right till you bump up to Boston Edison. But then, haha, when Wayne State University and Henry Ford Health System and the DMC got together and decided to, to, to work that Midtown 
piece where if you moved into the city, they'd give you so much money mm-hmm. off your apartment or off your roof or whatever. Then they drew a map for Midtown mm-hmm. that pushed Midtown all the way up to 12th Street in Philadelphia. Mm. So yeah, so was, now they was not supposed to do that. They were not, no. Well, and then I got mad because I'm like, I'm at LaSalle and Gladstone. If y'all come up like four more blocks and a block over, I could have got a new roof, mm-hmm. you know, when I was working for the health system. And I think that's the thing about Detroit is, first of all, people who live outside of the city have no real idea how big Detroit is. Like just landmass wise, they don't get it. It's a huge chunk of land. And that also is a bit of the car piece. It's like, well, why don't you guys have transportation? It's like, okay, first of all, we kind of gave you cars. And for the longest time, cars were affordable by the people who worked at the car company. So we all had cars. And this town is huge. This is not <laughs> like trying to do public transportation for any other city. It's not like New York where, you know, people just walk all over the borough. Well, and, and it's not like New York where you have 17, 20,000 people on a block. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, by the time you do the high rises and all that, we don't have that. Mm-hmm. Dang, eclectic brain. So I'm going to ask you your favorite thing about the city. I'm going to give you my favorite thing about the city. Mm-hmm. I love to tell people in New York what I pay on my house. Because mm-hmm. they're living in a one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan. And I'm like, one month rent from you could pay my taxes for a year mm-hmm. on the 3,600-square-foot colonial <laughs> that I got with a front and a backyard mm-hmm. and a driveway mm-hmm. and a beautiful tree and they're like you live where? I said y'all need to come you need to give this up this is not working for you you mm-hmm. need to get, come to Detroit now here's the deal and I've said this to people too a Detroiter can live anywhere mm-hmm. you can take a Detroiter out here put them anywhere they'll figure it out everybody can't live in Detroit yeah. It's a different kind of town. It's a different kind of town. I, you can't I, walk to the bodega and get noticed, your cheese sandwich. I noticed that anytime I go somewhere, like, I just figure it out. But. Right. It doesn't take, it takes like three minutes for you to go, oh, there's a bodega there. That's the subway. This is the road work. Fine. You're done. But you come to Detroit, you're like, what's happening? It's like, okay, so we're going to go get something to eat. You need to get in your car. I need to get in the car. You need to get in your car. And then here we go. <laughs> it depends on where you are. You need to get in your car. And here we go. What's your favorite thing about the city? I, now I got to think about it because that is one of my favorite things is telling people <laughs> how cheap it is. What are, what are your but other that's not the things? only thing. But like, no. um, I would have to say it's the music because mm. people all over the world come to Detroit just for the music. And it makes me proud to say that I can literally go anywhere in the world and hear music from Detroit and not feel oh, yeah. homesick. I was in Denver a couple of months ago. And her Motown in different places. Here in Detroit, it's just like, okay, Motown, yeah, we know. But <laughs> Yeah, they don't you don't get it if you live here. I've been in yeah, I was in Chinatown in San Francisco eating dinner, listening to the temptations. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's the fact that I don't just have a connection to the music. I have a connection to some of the people. I don't know anybody from Motown like that, but a story I like to tell is that when my grandfather was in high school, he went to Northern, grew up in the North End. And he was a hall monitor. And people would always be singing in the hallways, right? Mm -hmm. And it was always these two dudes he had to break up in the hallway and send them back to class. Uh, Those two dudes linked up with two other dudes, and they became the four tops. (laughs) 
So it's <laughs> and then the other two dudes at the Four Tops, they went to high school with my grandmother. Right. So my grandmother was at Persian. The other, I forget which two of the Four Tops were at Persian, but like two of them were at Northern with my grandfather, two of them were at Persian with my grandmother, and then they got married. So it, Detroit <laughs> is a small world, but at the same time, you can tell a little. Like I think everybody, not everybody, but you know, a lot of people in Detroit have a story like that where it's just like, oh, my uncle used to hang with Marvin Gaye, or you know, mm-hmm. my cousin did so and so here or something like that. So. I was at Burt's Marketplace down at Eastern Market. It was karaoke night. I'm singing uh, Midnight Train to Georgia. These three guys get up behind me and start doing moves and they're sort of messing up and they're kind of not messing up. And I'm laughing at them and I'm leaving them alone because I'm a little drunk. But normally I would have told them to sit down. But we get through it. Everybody claps. Everybody laughs. I go back and sit down with my mother. My mother says, I said, who are them fools back there? trying to be the pips my mother said the pips (laughs) (laughs) and i said what he's like well the one guy that's their cousin but the other two those are actually Mm -hmm. the pips like Mm -hmm. those dudes used to dance behind gladys knight like they do that anytime somebody does a gladys knight song and i'm like did i just sing midnight train to georgia with the pips behind (laughs) me and didn't even know it welcome to detroit that's how that's how it goes you never know who you're going to run into at karaoke night or in a grocery store. And people are just chill with it because everybody has always known, you know, my next door neighbor sold cheesecakes to Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. And she thought she wasn't going to pay for them because that's how Riri liked to live her life. And she, <laughs> she didn't know. Sometimes you don't know. But that's mine. I love that about the city. So this is my last question, just because we've talked long enough. But I want to know, because I'm a food person. What are your favorite places to eat in the city? I love ENS Shrimp on uh, Six Mile in Schaefer. I like uh, Uptown Barbecue. I'm thinking about all the takeout places first and then the <laughs> sit down places. That's fine. Uptown Barbecue is good. I like Taqueria El Rey in Mexican Town. My mm. favorite, favorite restaurant is my family's favorite restaurant. I still don't know how they found it, but it's not too far from here, actually. Giovanni's Italian restaurant mm. is a real old school place. Um, actually, the owner, her family owns the place. And, you know, her sons are in the kitchen and on the floor and they got the whole family working there. I love Giovanni's. My favorite new restaurant of all the new restaurants in Detroit mm. is Chartreuse next to the DIA. Yeah, so, I haven't been in there yet. So but. a lot of these restaurants, you know, I'm not going to comment on like customer service or nothing like that. But I will say I will. That it's terrible. <laughs> Go ahead. You don't have to because it's not your show. and You represent the whole city and yeah. I don't want you to put yourself in that position. But I'm going to tell you, somebody who's been in there, y'all got to stop hiring these hipster children that can't write. It takes forever to get your food and don't nobody know what's going on. But continue. But see, at Chartreuse, like they treat you nice. You know, yeah. like I know the owner. I don't want to be like, oh, I know the owner, but it's one of those. It reminds me of Giovanni's because the way they take care of you, customer service wise, you know, it's not just about the food and the atmosphere. It's the people who make conversation with you, the mm-hmm. people who offer you things on the menu, like, oh, you don't want you you don't want this. Actually, you want this. You want to <laughs> you want to pair this wine with this. They're knowledgeable about about the food. They're knowledgeable about the menu. And they get it out to you in a timely fashion. Like, that to me, every single business in Detroit, restaurant or otherwise, is going to have hit or miss. And, you know, I always give people chances. But with them and some of, and a few other places, they've never done me wrong. So Right. I feel that way about uh, Le Petit Zinc. When they moved, I got mad because I liked where they were. And their folks were a little ditzy at the original place. But that's fine. I never went there if I didn't have time. Um, but now that they've got this new place, it's got this one sister sitting there. She, she'll yell at you. But I like that. I like the idea of this sort of 
French street food because mm-hmm. I love French food in Detroit because we're a French city. Mm-hmm. So it makes me comfortable. I think it it works. But I also like the fact that we're still Detroit. So she's like, honey, did you want more cream in your coffee? You know, it's like, I love the <laughs> idea that you're getting a crepe from someone who's also sort of yelling at you. It makes me feel like really at home when <laughs> stuff like that happens. Oh, and Sweetwaters. I got to talk about Sweetwaters. So, oh, because Sweetwater. I work downtown, right? And sometimes when you, you can get within like a block of Sweetwater <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and smell it. Yes. It smells, it smells so good. And I got to keep myself from going there. They, <laughs> I haven't been there in a minute, but they say, I was thinking about wings. I live right near, they say, and I need to go back there. But it's always crowded and they say, and that's good. I love yes. that it's always crowded. Yes. But sometimes you just want to like eat by yourself. and, and so <laughs> Right. right. So I don't want to talk to everybody. I won't have to be... Yeah. Oh, this is my absolute last statement for people bringing in a new restaurant. So this is particular to me, but I'm going to say it. I'm 46. Y'all got to stop with these cafeteria tables and these benches with no backs. (laughs) Just give me a chair. Like, I don't know what you're trying to do, but you're trying too hard. Go to the restaurant supply people. Tell them, I want a table with chairs with backs. Stop giving me counters. Stop giving me booths with like cement pour table stop you're doing too much you last time i went to a place they ripped my shirt up because my belly is big and when i got out i ripped my shirt on the table just give me a chair give me a table give me my food and get gone aaron <laughs> thank you so much for thank being you. with us today names eclectic brain i appreciate you man thank you for taking the time so that was aaron k foley he's detroit's master storyteller you learn a lot of things about the city talking to somebody who cares about it if you want to get out there and get that book, How to Live in Detroit Without Being a Jackass, there's a lot of people who need it. So if you're not going to buy it for yourself, think about giving it away as a Christmas present. Shout out to the block clubs. I see y'all. I had one near me the other day. They just did their block club party. They do one every year, blocking off the street, trying to do street showers. Every time I go over there, I can't even get a rib. I mean, because I don't live on Gladstone. I live on LaSalle. They act like we different people. We share the same corner, but I'm not trying to get into that. Shout out to Gladstone Block Club between LaSalle and Linwood. Nice to see y'all out there. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Dame's Eclectic Brain. Make sure that wherever you are listening, you make a, do a review so other people can find us. I want to thank my producers, Jenny Dela O and Shannon Kaysen. And I want to thank you, our listeners, because the three of y'all have turned this into one of the fastest growing podcasts on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate y'all. And thank you for listening to Dame's Eclectic Brain. Mm, mm, mm. Now that's homemade.